we often sing about things that we love. And Psalm 87, as we continue our series in the book of Psalms, Psalm 87 is a song of love and celebration. And it invites us to appreciate something that we don't always value as we should. So listen to God's word as I read Psalm 87. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mentioned Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples. This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you speak to us through it. Father, we pray that you would help us to give you our full attention, that you would help us to listen to what you want to say, and we pray that your spirit would work through the truth of your word, and that you would strengthen us as your people, that you would convict us, and that you would change us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If somebody asked you, what would you say is the greatest city in the world? You know, what is the greatest city in the world? I mean, you can make an argument for all sorts of different cities. I mean, we might be kind of biased, a lot of us here. You know, New York City could be on that list. Um, Paris could be on the list. London, maybe Tokyo. There's all sorts of cities all over the world that, that people might consider the greatest city in the world. Um, I mean, what, what makes a city great to begin with? Um, what makes a city great? Is, is it the architecture? Is it the skyline? Is it the, the famous landmarks that are there, the historical landmarks? Is it the, is the people that make a city great? Um, is it the fun things to do? I, I would say, in my opinion, my, I think the, the greatest city in the world is London, and, and it's probably because I lived there for a couple of years when I was a teenager. And, um, and the thing that makes London great for me is because I have so many like, great memories and associations with all sorts of different places in London, whether it's Leicester Square, Trafalgar Square, Piccadilly Circus, or Carnaby Street, all these different places I used to love to go to when I was a teenager. And, and if I have the chance, any chance I get, I will go to London. I would love to spend time there, you know? Um, is there a city for you that you would love, that you would jump at the chance to go and hang out there and spend time there? Or maybe it's not a city, maybe it's just a place. You think of a place that you just long to spend time there. It's the best place in the world for you. Psalm 87 is a tribute to the greatest city, the greatest place in the world. Verses one to three talk about the city of God, right? The city that he founded, the city of Zion, it refers to Zion in verse 2, right? And also verse 5. And you can see from verse 5, Zion, that they understood to be incredibly glorious, is a future place. It says, of Zion it shall be said, right? For the Most High himself will establish her. 
Um, this psalm was written by the sons of Korah. We made reference to them a couple weeks ago. But um, in their minds, as they thought about the city of God and the city of Zion, what they were thinking about specifically was Jerusalem. They were thinking about Jerusalem. And so that's what this psalm is about to them. They're, they're talking about the city of Jerusalem. But it's not a present city. Like I said, they're, they're thinking about a future city that will be this incredible city, the greatest city in the world. And as you continue reading through the Bible and studying the history of Israel, everything changes with the coming of Jesus. Everything changes when you get to the New Testament and Jesus comes. And um, the people of God in the Old Testament are the people of Israel. It's a nation, you know. But now, with the coming of Jesus, the people of God is broadened out to basically anyone who believes in Jesus from all different nations, all different peoples. And so, and, and as you look in the New Testament, Zion is actually continue, continued to be referenced in the New Testament, including the place that we just read in 1 Peter 2. If you were paying attention, it talked about how in Zion, God's going to lay a cornerstone. And it's talking about Jesus Christ. God is going to do something new with Jesus, and he's going to create a new structure, a new building, a new city on the basis of who Jesus is and what he has done. And this new city will be made up of the people of God from everywhere. And this new city is the city of Zion. I think that Psalm 87 is pointing us to. So even though the people who originally wrote Psalm 87 were talking about Jerusalem, ultimately what they were talking about, whether they realized it or not, was the church of God that's built on Jesus. And so what Psalm 87 encourages us to do is to celebrate the church, to love the church, and see it as a place above, above all other places that we want to spend our time. Okay? It is the ultimate city, the greatest city in the world. And why is that? And I, that's what I want to just explore. I want to explore three reasons why Zion, or the church of God, is the greatest place to spend our time, and to spend our energy, and to spend our lives. And the first reason is that, it's that in Zion, we find the presence of God in a way that we don't find it anywhere else in the world. This psalm begins, on the holy mount stands the city he founded. It refers to the city of Zion as a place that's holy, as a place that's set apart. And the reason that they viewed Jerusalem as the holy city is because they believed that, that God was present there in a way that he wasn't present anywhere else in the world. Like they believed that God was everywhere at all times, but, but that in Jerusalem, because the temple was in Jerusalem, that God's presence was in Jerusalem among his people in a way that, that was immediate, in a way that wasn't anywhere like any, anywhere else. And, and so that's why people from all over Israel would come to Jerusalem to worship there, to worship God there, because he was uniquely present there. But as I said before, as, as you continue reading through the Bible, and as you get to Jesus, you realize that you know, uh, Jesus himself says you know, that the temple is nice, but ultimately the temple is actually pointing to me, pointing to Jesus. Just like the temple was, was the, the, the presence of God among the people, that's what Jesus actually is. He is the presence of God among the people. He's the one who brings the presence of God to us, the presence of God near to us. And it's through Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection that we can come near to God and that we can experience life up close and personal with God. And then after Jesus died and rose and ascended to heaven, what did he do? He poured out his spirit upon his people. 
so that as you continue reading through the New Testament, you see that anybody who believes in Jesus and puts their life in his hands is given the Spirit of God, and he says, you are now his temple. Not just you as individuals, but you as a people, as a church, you are the temple of God. This is where God's Spirit dwells, where his presence is experienced in a way that you can't experience him anywhere else. I mean, you can go to the top of, of this, the biggest mountain in the world, and you can ski down it and experience the presence of God, I'm sure. And, and you can go and sit on a beach and look over crystal blue water at an incredible sunset and experience the presence of God. But you cannot experience the presence of God in those places like you can in the church, believe it or not. And this is talking about the church, the worldwide church, throughout all time and all place, like the, the, all the people who believe in God, but that includes Hope Church. This is a small little satellite outpost of that big church. And so what, what they're saying is this, this right here, where we are now, the relationships that we experience, the, the way that we see God in one another, this is the presence of God. You cannot experience the presence of God up close and personal anywhere else but here. Do you realize that? You cannot see the presence of God anywhere else except here where, where you see God loving other people through, through his people. Where you, got, where you see God changing us by the power of his spirit, his work in us. As you see people faithfully continue to, to trust him and follow him even as they endure suffering. We see the power and the presence of God in all sorts of ways. But it's here in the church that you find that. So it's here where we find the presence of God. It's also here where we find the hospitality of God. It's in the church that you find the hospitality of God. Some of us are really good at hospitality. Some of us We'll just say you have to work at it a little harder than others. That would include me. I'm, I'm one of those people that has to work at hospitality a little harder than others, especially when it comes to my kids' friends. Um, when our, our older kids were growing up, uh, they would, we, we lived really close to the school, and so kids would constantly be coming by you know, on their way home from school, or they'd be coming by the house, and, and our kids would be like, can they, can they come in? You know, can they come over and play? And I'd be like, they can come over, just they have to stay outside. As long as they stay outside, we're good, okay? I mean, there would be the rare occasion where I'd let them in the house. But I mean, I was like, you know, I have enough chaos and noise in my life. I don't need more. And so, yeah, I've, I like to say that it's because I'm a real introvert and, you know, it really drains me when a lot of people are around. But the reality is I'm just selfish. <laughs> and uh, God is working on me. I've grown. I've grown <laughs> because of the Spirit. But... You know, God, as you look at this, as you look at this psalm, it, the hospitality of God is immense. It's incredible as you look at it. First of all, we see God's hospitality in the way that he welcomes outsiders, in the way that he welcomes outsiders. In verse 4, it talks about the, the people that are included in Zion, in the city of Zion, and it, and it lists them. It says, among those who know me, I mentioned Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. These aren't just any random nations. These are actually some of Israel's greatest enemies. Rahab is another name for Egypt, a, a country that oppressed Israel for hundreds of years. Babylon is another country that was constantly threatening Israel and, and invaded Israel and, and then took them away into exile. I mean, do I have to mention the Philistines? You guys know who the Philistines are. You know who Goliath is, you know. 
um, the Philistines were responsible for the deaths of many of Israelites. And yet, verse 4 points out that these are the very people that know God in this future Zion. These are the very people that are included in the city of God, that God included, includes as among his people. The people that don't deserve to be there. The people that, who, who are unworthy of being there. These are the people that God lists as the ones he wants to be there. In verse two, it says, the Lord loves the gates of Zion. Why does it say that he loves the gates of Zion? I mean, what are gates used for? Well, gates can be used to keep people out. You know, like, like me with the, the, the young kids, I, I, I love the door of our house because it kept them out in the backyard. But gates can also be places where people can be welcomed in. And I think in the context of this, with all of these other, you know, the enemies of Israel listed as, as among the people of God, when it says God loves the gates of Zion, the reason he loves the gates is because he loves to look at the gates and, ex, and, and ex, in excitement about who's going to come in those gates. You know? I look at the door and I'm like, yes, it's a barrier between me and everybody else. God looks at the door and says, I can't wait to see who's going to walk in there next. I can't wait to see who's going to walk in next. No matter how messy their life might be, no matter how undeserving they might be, God loves the gates of Zion because he loves to welcome those who are undeserving. He loves to welcome the outsider. He loves to welcome the sinner. In John 10, 7, Jesus refers to himself as the door. Jesus refers to himself as the door through which the sheep come in. I think God, you know, God loves the gates of Zion. He loves Jesus because he is the door through whom sinners come near. Where sinners can experience the love of God. Where failures can experience his acceptance and his delight. God loves the gates. He loves Jesus, who is the door through whom we can come near. But God's hospitality goes even further. There's a word that's repeated three times in verses four to six. Did you notice it when I was reading it? Um, in verse four, it says, this one was born there. In verse five, this one and that one were born in her. Verse six, this one was born there over and over again. He talks about these people, all of these outsiders, all of the undeserving people, all of the enemies of Israel. They're not only welcomed in Zion, but he treats them as if they were born there, as if they are family, as if they belong there, right? That's what God's hospitality is about. It's, it's not just welcoming us as guests, it's embracing us as family. He will not abandon us. We belong here. If we feel like we belong nowhere else, if we feel like we're welcome nowhere else, this is where we belong. Among his people in his church. We're family. We, 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 don't, just, you know, we don't just have access to the house to hang out for a little bit, but we, but we have absolute access to whatever's in the refrigerator. You know? The remote control is ours for the TV. Right? We are completely welcome and accepted. We have absolute access to him. We're family. In uh, the movie um, 
While You Were Sleeping. I don't know how many of you guys have seen that movie, but it's about this young woman who's all alone in the world. Her, she has no family. Um, her name's Lucy Amaterats, and, and she works at this train station in, in uh, Chicago and spends so much of her life alone, and, and she sees this guy every morning on the way to work, this handsome guy that she has a crush on but never has met before, and he, he falls onto the tracks because he's being mugged, and then she goes and she rescues him, and they take him to the hospital, and he's in a coma, and as she's standing there in the waiting room in the hospital, she like sees him go, they take him into the ICU or whatever, and she just says under her breath, like fantasizing about this guy, she's like, oh, I was gonna marry that guy. You know, and another nurse overhears her say this. So she assumes that she's his fiance, and she brings her in to the ICU, which is meant for family only, right? And then the rest of the family comes in, this loud, exuberant family. They, they come in, they're all worried about him and everything. And, and then uh, one of the doctors immediately, is like, he sees her, he's like, she doesn't belong here. This is for family only. And then the nurse is like, that's, that's his fiance. And then the whole family's like, what? He has a fiance? He didn't tell us he was getting married? And they're all panicking and all upset and annoyed at him, even though he's in a coma. And, and then the, the police officer there, he's like, well, she rescued his life. You know, she jumped on the tracks to save him. And they're like, what? And then, and then the, yeah, it's like, that's his fiance. And, and then the, the father like steps forward and puts his hand in front of the doctor who's like trying to get her out. And he's like, she is family, you know, she belongs here, and then everybody huddles around her and embraces her, and she has a place where she belongs, where she knows she is loved, that she has longed for, for so long, and that is exactly what Zion is about, a place where everyone who comes through the gates, who comes through the door because of what Jesus has done is embraced and is part of the family. We belong here, this is what the church is meant to be, the place where we're welcomed by God because of what Christ has done, and where all are meant to know that we're part of the family, that, that we belong. And lastly, it's where we find the refreshment of God. Verse seven says, the singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. When, when you live in a climate like it is in Israel, where there's, there's not a whole lot of rain, a spring of water is something that is to be celebrated. It's to be rejoiced because Water is life. A spring of water will sustain you and give you life, right? And that's what he's saying. All my springs are in you. My life is bound up with the people of God, with the church, with Zion. This is where I find life. In the TV show Ted Lasso, if any of you guys have watched that, it's about, about the American football coach who then goes to England and coaches an English football team, a soccer team, and he has no idea what he's doing, but he's incredibly positive, right? He just tells everybody to believe, and he has all these great sayings of positivity. And in the first season, there's a new player who joins the, that joins the team named Danny Rojas, and, uh, and they don't know anything about this new player, but suppose he's pretty good. And so they're out there on the practice field, and then Danny Rojas comes running down the tunnel, and he has just got the biggest smile on his face, and he's just singing. He's just like, la, 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 Danny Rojas. And, and, he, and he runs out onto the field, and he just runs in circles. He high-fives everybody. He's like smiling, and then, and then he gets a soccer ball, and he starts juggling it around and passing it back and forth to other people, and then he, and then he shoots the ball, and he scores, and, he, and he's incredible, but the entire time he just continues to sing. And over and over again, his big catchphrase is this, football is life! Football is life. He gets all of his joy, all of his life from playing football, from playing soccer. And it's exuberant, you know, it's, it's contagious. It's, it's just, you, you can't avoid it. You can't avoid his joy. 
because all of his meaning and purpose, it sustains him. And that, again, I think what verse 7 is pointing us to about Zion, about the church, the people of God. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you, Zion. This is where I find life. This is where I find joy. This is what the, the relationships and, and, and what I have here is what will truly sustain me, will recharge my batteries in all of life. You know, we, we look to all sorts of things to try to recharge our batteries and get refreshment from, don't we, in life, whether it's binging stuff on Netflix while we sit on the couch or, or taking a nap or, or uh, taking a vacation. You know, we do all sorts of things to try to, to, try to get refreshment. And, and this psalm points to the fact that the thing that will give us more refreshment than anything else is the people of God, the church, being here. And so I, I see two clear applications from this psalm. Number one is this. Do you want more of God, the living God in your life? the one who created all things, the one who sustains all things, the one who, who everything was meant for, do you want more of him? This is where you're going to find him. Do you, want, do, you, do you long for a place where you are welcomed and accepted and loved and you belong? This is the place to come, to invest yourself. Do you want a place where you will find real joy that will sustain you throughout whatever you deal with in life? This is the place that you will find it. The first application is simply this. If you, if you realize, if you long for these things, then you need to make church a priority in your life. The, one of the major priorities in your life. Like Sunday morning, as we gather together, I know you're all already here, so I'm kind of preaching the choir, but, but this needs to become non-negotiable for us. You know, in the midst of all the other things that are crying out for our attention, as we raise our kids with all, all of their sports and, and the activities that they have, that, that cry out for us to be devoted to those things, or, or, you know, it seems like as we raise our kids, the primary time that other kids had their birthday parties was Sunday, Sunday morning. And our kids had to say no to birthday parties a lot of the time so that we could come here. Because this is where life is found. You know, and, and not only Sunday morning needs to be non-negotiable for us. Like no matter how tired you are that from, from, going, from doing whatever you did the night before, you know, to make sure I'm going to be there. Um, but not only Sunday morning, as I was saying, not only Sunday morning, but, but the church is not just this. The church is the people of God throughout the week. And so it means investing ourselves in the relationships that I have with others here. Spending time eating together, hanging out together, checking up on each other, texting one another, listening to one another. This is where you will see God. You want to see God, invest yourself more in the people of God. Serve together. That's the first thing. We need to make the people of God, Zion, more of a priority for our lives. Um, but also, the other application is that, you know, as I read this, we need to realize, yes, Hope Church is one little satellite outpost of Zion. And we have a responsibility 
to join God in making Zion what he describes it as here. That's our job. We need to believe the promises of God and actually live in response to them. We need to live lives interacting with God, knowing that he's real. We need to raise our kids to know that God is real and present. We need to interact with each other and care for each other, realizing that God is working through us, expecting God to do things and even surprise us. We need to have expectations for a a God to work among us who often does way more than we can imagine. We have a responsibility to be people who are hospitable like God is hospitable. We, We have a responsibility to welcome every single person that comes through that door. We have a responsibility to look at the front door and the side door and to long for new people to come in so that we can embrace them and love them and make sure they know that they are welcomed and that they belong and that they're part of the family. We have a responsibility to welcome people like God welcomes people. We have a responsibility not just to look at these doors, but to look look at the doors of our homes and long for people to come in. You know, I, I say that to myself, first and foremost that I would be excited about when my, my friend's kids come through those doors so that I can love them, no matter how loud and chaotic it is. We have a responsibility to, to join God in this mission of making Zion what he describes it as here, right? And we have a responsibility to love one another in a way that, that refreshes them rather than drains them, you know? Um, the, this uh, last line, verse seven, um, singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. It, it, it kind of reminds me of something that Jesus said in John seven. If you remember Jesus, when he, when he said, uh, he said, anybody who is thirsty, come to me. If you believe in me, what does he promise? What does he promise us if we believe in him? He says, springs of living water will flow from within you. He was talking about the spirit of God. As we come to Jesus together, as we come to Jesus as individuals, as we believe in him, what does he promise us? He promises us the spring of living water, the Holy Spirit working in us, springing up within us, not only to sustain us, but to actually flow out from us to the people around us, that they would be refreshed by his presence and by his love and by his grace. That is what he calls us to be, to believe in Jesus, all that he is, to invest everything we we have in the people of God and together that we would become a spring of living water for all those around us. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us um, to understand and take a hold of the the vision that you give us here in Psalm 87. The vision of Zion that is present now in the people of God with the coming of Jesus. Father, we pray that you would help us to believe in Jesus, to trust in him, and, and to count on his power and his grace to work in us and to work through us. 
Father, we pray for, for this church. For, we pray for the, the church throughout the world, but we pray specifically for Hope Church that this would become a place where people sing and dance because it's obvious that your spirit is springing up and flowing here. That people who are outsiders, that people who are forgotten, that people who are ignored, that people who are ashamed, that they feel absolutely welcome here and part of the family because you are welcoming them through us. Father, we pray for your spirit to work among us that we would know the reality of your power and your presence in our conversations with one another, in the way that we see you meeting us and providing for us, in the way that you see, we, we see you transforming us and becoming more like Jesus. We pray that you would work by your spirit. We long for your spirit to work, and we pray that you would pour it out and that we would truly experience Zion here. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We now have an opportunity to meet Jesus at the Lord's table, and we're going to take a moment to confess our sin to con together, to confess our need for him, our need for his sacrifice, our need for his, his, uh, his death for us. We're going to pray the prayer that's printed in your order of worship out loud together, and then we'll have a silent time of confession.